0: I want to take these two Sundays leading up to just talk to us, uh, our core church family, about who we are, where we're at, uh, and, and how we can be ready to be all that God has called us to be and privileged to be in this coming season. So we looked at serving last week and what it is to really take up our cross and look to serve instead of to be served as Christ modeled for us. Today I want to look at outdoing one another and showing honor. Um, and, and really a view of hospitality and what does it look to 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 go low for the sake of those around us. And that our hearts would truly be in the right place uh, for this coming season. If you'd grab your Bibles and turn with me, the Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 10. Uh, we're going to look at a single potent passage here as a start and then a couple others as we go this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Simply says this, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Other translations will say, Honor one another above yourself, above yourselves. So, right off the bat, in this first passage this morning, we are to consider two very different ways of living. One is Is outdo one another. That's one way of living. To outdo one another. Another is outdo one another by showing honor. Let's look at the first. Outdo one another is a way of living. In our sin, we are number one. Our world in its sin and lostness perpetuates this whole mindset of whatever it costs, whatever it takes to be the best, whoever you have to, to push aside, cheat, overcome. Our lives are centered around ourselves. Many parents' sinful mantra for their children is, I just want them to be happy. A very self-serving, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. As long as my children are happy, that's all I care about. And in that, we ingrain a mindset and a philosophy to say it's about my pleasure, my success, and my preferences so that I can be happy. We look to get ours first in this mindset. At times, we'll go so far to outproduce, outscore, outrun, outdo the next guy for the sake of our name being rewarded or acknowledged. In our flesh, sin gives way to more sin as we lie, cheat, cut, talk down on, gossip about, manipulate, use up, or whatever else it takes to outdo one another. This is a way of living. But there is another way. By God's grace and God's power, for God's glory. Outdo one another by showing honor is this other way. Honoring someone is treating them with your deeds and words as worthy of your service. The key thing you must understand this morning, they may not be worthy of it, but you honor them anyway. This kind of honoring means treating other people better than they deserve to be treated. What does it mean to outdo one another in showing honor? It boils down to you seek to honor rather than be honored. If you try to outdo someone, it, it means you love to honor them more than being honored. The, you, you enjoy elevating others to To honor them you, you you more than you enjoy being elevated to be honored, and you show up to something, your heartbeat is not oh it 'd be nice to be given the special treatment instead of that it's how can I be part of giving someone else special treatment instead of giving energy and thought and purpose to how we can be honored you're looking to lift up others and honor them in this we must put to death the craving for honor and and recognize that we are honored more than we could ever ask or dream in christ In the overflow of this reality christians practice the joy of honoring others Look with me at James chapter 2. I'll give you a sneak peek of where we're headed. And I can do that because in chapter 2, we won't be there for a while. We're going to look at verse 1 through 6 with a passing read. James 2, 1 through 6. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention, another way of saying show honor, to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man you stand over there, Or sit at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Disciples Church, let us prefer and practice to honor more than to be honored. And let us be cautious not to do this with partiality. That we would be as excited to have one of our local officials attend service at Disciple's Church next weekend, as someone who is homeless, or hasn't taken a bath in many days, that we'd be joyful that they are also in the company of believers to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul takes us further when he says to Christian slaves in 1 Timothy 6.1, Let all who are under a yoke As slaves, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. They may be scoundrels, but you can regard them as worthy of honor. Now watch this. You count them worthy the way God counts you and I righteous in Christ. For those who are really struggling with this idea of honoring someone who you do not feel is worthy of honor, let me point out that you're not considering that through a gospel lens. The gospel is the great motivation and power for honoring one another in this way. The gospel gives us the understanding of how we are to do this. How we are to honor one another despite the fact that logically... They do not deserve that honor. See, God has given us His Son, the eternal Son of God, on our behalf, while we were yet sinners, His enemies. Right? While we were yet dishonoring Him, He honored us by rescuing us from sin and death and hell By giving us a place at the table at the cost of his begotten son. This is the doctrine of imputation. Big fancy theological word. That word imputation means to ascribe or to credit. Imputation speaks of what I'm credited. For those who who repent of sin truly and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior... The righteousness that God judges us by is not ours. I'm not worthy. I'm not righteous. I am credited with another's righteousness. That of Jesus Christ. That's the the beauty of the gospel. The great exchange. the, The wonder of why grace is so amazing. It's imputed. It's laid upon me. It's credited to me, even though I didn't earn it. In Romans 4, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 23, when teaching that our sin is imputed to Jesus, our sin is credited to Jesus on the cross, so that it is not counted against us, and we're saved by grace. Romans 4, 6-8, through 8, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous, apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The gospel sets our hearts to see that we are counted, we are credited, honored, when we didn't deserve it. Earn it, warrant it. And so, therefore, we count others worthy of honor when they don't deserve it. We outdo them in showing honor. We can honor one another in Christ. Even when that other person is not worthy of honor, this is the gospel transforming the way Christians do life, utterly flipping it on its head the way the world does this and thinks about this. Because the world is in a system whereby you have to merit it, you have to earn it. The system of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, has changed everything for us, and therefore it changes us. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me for a quick second. See the way that Paul describes this to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to begin. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Here's the struggle for us in our flesh. What if logically they are literally not better or more significant than you? Fill in the blank. Whatever that thing is. Count them more significant than yourself. But here's the point. Forget the practical, logical scale of importance of significance. A Christian is to count the other more significant. It it doesn't say, if they are, then do. Its command is to simply count them, treat them as more significant. Despite their actual significance. The point is not what they actually are, it's that we are what we are to count them to be. The focus is not on how they perform or act. The focus is will you count them as worthy of your help and your encouragement? Instead of deciding that if they are worthy or not, then only then will you count them worthy. See, what makes this really hard is when we feel in our flesh that we are the ones deserving honor. What do you mean you're asking me to recognize this other person? Doesn't the room recognize that I'm actually the one that did more work related to this task? And I'm now to stand here and recognize another who truly, fully, actually did less work than I did. Whom I grossly outperformed. Our flesh struggles to make much of another when we feel that we are being ignored or mistreated. What what, what do you mean that I would give up my seat to a, a, a new person? I've been in this church for four decades. I mean, all the different ways we can think about this. But this is what the gospel does to us. It it makes war on the flesh and the fleshly ways of considering these things and rejoices in the victory of Christ on our behalf. That's that's our joy. Don't forget that you deserved condemnation for your sin. That's what you actually deserve. The lie of the flesh has told you that you are to be honored when what you really are before Holy God is to be condemned, to be punished, to be cast away. There's a saying that some of you love to proclaim, and, and it's based in a great gospel truth. When someone asks you how you're doing, some of you like to say, I'm doing better than I deserve. a great truth if you mean it, and it just doesn't become a pithy saying that you get used to saying, do you really, in your heart of hearts, feel that you are doing better than you deserve? And in that, is there a heart of gratefulness, a heart of humility by which you don't feel owed or slighted? You feel... Abundantly blessed with more than you deserve. This is built on the understanding that you deserve eternal wrath because of your sin. That's the right and righteous judgment of a holy God upon unrepentant sinners. But in Christ's perfect sacrifice on our behalf, we have been honored with new life and eternal blessing to enjoy god forever that is the blessing of all blessings you have been, your status your eternal status has changed from condemned to adopted to made new to drawn near to the holy god forever It is on this foundation that we engage the world differently than the world does. We don't need to build up our personal bank account with honor and accolades because in Christ we've been given, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been honored in a way that we could never repay or even fathom. This means we can intentionally and willingly honor the person who does not deserve honor and take the low position or or low seat or low amount and rejoice. Why? Because of all that you are in Christ. Exalted. To feast with the King of Kings forever. The Lord of glory. Jesus spoke of this again and again. I'll give you an example. Luke 14, Luke 14, 7 through 10. It's moments like this where you guys are glad that I expositionally preach most Sundays and we just go verse to verse instead of this jumping all over the place. Luke 14, 7 through 10. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. He noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest you be more distinguished than you be invited by him. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who has invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up to the higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Our flesh might reason this when you read that passage. If you haven't gone there already, I'll help you. But what if I'm never recognized and asked to move up? Right? Right? I won't ask you for a raise of hands. (laughs) We must see that this action of outdoing others despite their actual position and showing them honor and taking the lower place on purpose despite how it might turn out that that action is something we do by faith. And when you get caught up in what does that mean for me, then you've put aside faith and now you're walking by sight. Is it not walking by faith and trusting in the promises of God, even in the midst of a moment where that reality might not be happening the way you want it to? Look at the next verse, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's the promise. Maybe not at that wedding. Maybe not at the next 40. But at the eternal wedding. You will be exalted. When will those who. Follow Christ's example, who take up our cross and humble ourselves, be exalted. When Christ returns to make all things new and begin the celebration of the eternal wedding feast, it will happen for eternity, church. It will be exaltation like you could have never dreamed, making pathetic noise of the things that you clung to in your flesh to go, oh, but this day, that was sweet. To get raised up and exalted on that day. To exchange. The eternal banquet. For temporary. Momentary. Experiences of. Exaltation and honor. Is ludicrous. It's claiming instant gratification instant gratification in exchange for eternal joy so let's read further what Christ says about these things Luke 14:12 through 14 he said also to the man who had invited him when you give a dinner or a banquet do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. What's the danger in that? What he's basically saying there is, be so careful that your flesh doesn't fall back in love with being satisfied in the flesh. Verse 13, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you why is it a blessing to not be repaid in the temporary for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just because never ever do I want to exchange the temporary repayment for the eternal one not that you can in actuality exchange it and somehow get out of the salvific Reality that that God has provided through Christ. That's his doing, not yours. You cannot actually exchange it. But in your heart you can. In your mind you can. And thereby then begin to miss the beauty of the glory of God and the eternality of that prize for temporary, momentary experiences that are here today, gone tomorrow. Don't play it like the world does, is what Jesus is saying. Don't do what the flesh wants and keep it safe and only invite and serve those who you know will repay you. That's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. That's controlling it. Instead, humble yourself. Trust God and invite those who cannot repay you. Don't look to satisfy the flesh. Serve the lowly, the undeserving, and... Hear the promise again. You will be blessed, verse 14, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Church, is not about us. The new campus we're about to move in is not about us. If we see it as we have arrived... We miss what it's for. We have arrived when we are at the eternal banquet. That's the arrival. That's the prize. That's the joy. This building, this four acres, this this space, this playground we just built this weekend is a means. It's a tool. It's entrusted to us. Not for us. Not as our prize or our reward. It's not for us. It's to be used for those that God wants to put in our path. It's for the lowly and the lost. It's for the idolaters and the manipulators. That they would hear the gospel and in God's perfect time be saved and set free. And then they would be discipled and sent out to testify and multiply to the nations. It's for the generation that's coming behind us, the children, the youth. It's for helping them grow and raise so that they then can raise another generation until God's perfect timing to call it done. And this is why the older we get, the more picky and grumpy we get, the more we need the gospel to help us give it away. And make it not about us. And I love it. I love it when, when our eldest generation of any season says, don't do it for me. It's not for me. Don't honor me in this time. I will be honored. It's for the next generation. My privilege is to stand that gap, is to, is to hand it off. Comfort our prize is not now. It's when he returns. We don't settle in and get comfortable in the meantime. We look to go low and outdo others in showing honor. But how? How do we do this? How do we do this when our flesh so longs for that instant gratification and comfort now? Where does that other other oriented submission and service come from, not self oriented service and submission. Philippians 2, verse 3 in humility, humility, Christ humility, count others more significant than yourselves. There, there's a table setting here. You approach the room, you approach the moment ready to count others, despite what they prove, show, bring, or have. You come ready. I'm going to count you worthy, despite what you are, who you are, what you've done. Humility that motivates this lifestyle can't come from us. It won't last. Even if you can force it for a minute, Christ must empower this humility. And so... Calvin says this, when we consider what is humility, John Calvin said, It is evident that one never attains a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. So, In comparison to each other, I I can feel pretty good about myself, but it's when I do real and right business with the holy, ultimate, eternal face of God do I begin to have a right view of myself and everything that was prideful and arrogant and feeling deserved begins to crumble so that real humility is happening. Biblical worldview of humility. Humility is... Honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Another definition of humility is humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is being exactly what God made you to be, that's putting away your sin. It's a it's a willful, it's a joyful lowliness that fights that fleshly desire to be honored, to have it our way. It doesn't mean that you are low in a practical sense. It means you have taken the position of low in order to serve and uplift another. This is the opposite of the sense of entitlement or self-exaltation. Humility is the opposite of you owe me. In the same vein of honoring one another, we have humility towards one another. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, clothe yourselves with what? Humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here Peter exhorts both the young and the old alike to clothe oneself with humility. The the word used here in the Greek is the word where we get our word apron. Signifies a garment of a slave or a servant. To a Christian, true humility, I love this, is attractive dress attractive dress, true humility but attractive to whom? see we don't want to humble ourselves to gain attention of others that would be working against the effort to humble ourselves counterproductive as our pride would be motivated in this no we do it because it glorifies God because it pleases God Pride looks to attract the attention of others. Humility attracts the attention of God. And who are we aiming to please? Isaiah 66 verse 2, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Why do Christians walk through life feeling a humble sense that we want to serve others? rather than being served or being owed? The answer is because of the overflow of the gospel at work, because of Christ's love, because of Christ's service in our lives, His forgiveness, His acceptance. That I did nothing to earn that. And I want to pay that forward. I want to spread that gospel truth. He treated us worthy of His service when we were not worthy of His service. He counted us as greater. He who is greater, He said... One who reclines, who, I'm sorry, who is greater, he said. One who reclines at the table or the one who serves. Is it not the one, is it the one who reclines at the table? But I among you as the one who serves. Church, we need to feel overwhelmed at God's grace. That's the motivation for true humility and service to others. We're compelled to go low, to give up our chair. Freely, you have been served, so that you can freely serve. <coughs> Let each of you look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Is Ephesians, is Philippians 2.4 the word interest here is too specific the original is very open handed all that is said is your own something and others something John Piper said it this way so it could be let each of, of you look not only to your own financial affairs Your own property, your own family, your own health, your own reputation, your own education, your own success, your own happiness. Don't just think about that. Don't just have desires about that. Don't just strategize about that. Don't just work towards that. But look to the financial affairs and property and family and health and reputation and education and success and happiness of others. This is a way of saying the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So a Christian makes the good of others the focus of our interest and our strategy. We find joy in making others joyful. Even when our flesh wants nothing to do with it. I've used this illustration long before. The problem is we continue to add young children to our homes, so it continues to prove itself true. (coughs) My older kids kind of grow out of this, but the younger ones still miss the moment. I'm exhausted at the end of a long day, finally getting that moment to just turn off. And in strolls, a bouncy little girl, Daddy, come play with me. You're gorgeous, you're wonderful, you're super cute, and I want absolutely to do nothing right now. (laughs) It's time for Daddy to rest. (laughs) But I honor her, honor them by not making it about me in that moment. In an act of gospel-fashioned, Christ's exalting will, I put the child's interest before my desires to rest. I share this with you because it's hard. <laughs> Honor one another above yourself is not easy. We are desperate for Jesus. We're desperate for the gospel to motivate us in this way. I don't know, maybe some of you have been thinking about it this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's a holiday weekend, and most of you are working all weekend long. As I asked you a few months ago to do, cancel your May plans. We have a lot to do. And so we have those moments of like, man, it'd be nice to be at the beach, be nice to be at the park. So we're desperate. We're desperate for Christ to empower us to go low, to push others before us. And again, the motivation cannot be just try harder. It won't work. And if it does for a moment, it won't last. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, is verse 5, Philippians 2.5. How do we do this? How do we look Not to our own interest, but the interest of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. That mindset, that motivation is only yours in Christ. We're desperate for Jesus to be our center, our identity, our power, our motivation for these things. Look at verse 6 and 7. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who? Jesus Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality. There's that word count again. He was, is, always will be equal. He didn't count it to himself in that season. A thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He, though he is God, eternally, always has been, is, always will be, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, literally emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That is what it means to look to the interest of others first, being bored in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He, he laid down his legitimate entitlements, what he was due for honor He willingly took the lower position by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. If you ever struggle with humility or self-denial or serving those who are hard to love, think of this picture of Christ. This is what he did for you. Let each of you not look only to your own interest, but the interest of others. That's what he did when he died in our place. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I told you this is all over. How do we honor one another? First and foremost, we do these things because he is worthy of our reverence, our worship, and our honor. Unlike man who often will require honor when honor is not due them, God is always due honor. Amen? Amen? Ephesians 3.21, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created everything, and it is for your pleasure they exist and were created. How do we honor Him? By submitting to, honoring, considering better others. We honor one another because we are commanded to as God's people, is the other thing you must take away this morning. It is an honor to be His and to obey His commands. We are commanded to honor one another. It is not a recommendation. Hey, you guys might consider this week, showing up next week, and just giving up a little bit of something. Just consider it. No, it's a command upon us. It's the way the body of Christ is authentically and honestly the body of Christ. When we're not this way, we don't point to Christ, we point to something else. It's not a good idea, this is not a lofty ideal. It's a regular practice of the people of God. And because our eyes as Christians are on the eternal and not just the temporary, we rest in the fact that our lowliness, our submission, our humility, in this time will be rewarded and exalted in due time. The rest of that, Philippians 2, passage 9-11, through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was gloriously rewarded for his self-emptying, and we will too. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew twenty-three, twelve. But church, this morning you must see this all happens starts with Jesus. So therefore, you must be saved. You must be saved, or you'll only be doing this out of your own effort, which it will become frustrating. You will get grumpy. You will feel like you're owed. You will get tired of serving and honoring people who are not worthy of it. You must truly repent of your sin, confess it, and trust your lives to Jesus. Christ in you must be the motivation to do this. You must be motivated by gospel reality at work in your life. I also implore you, you must continue to be feasting on the word of God. The truths of God washing over you, instructing you, reorienting your actions and your priorities and your reasons. And like me, you will need others around you to reorient you to these gospel truths when you're struggling. True community, being in each other's lives, being involved in a group where you're known And walked with it encouraged and challenged. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Our hope in prayer is that next weekend our church experience is flipped on its head. And maybe not next weekend. Maybe there's a taste next weekend and then it mellows out again and then more come in the summer or when the school year starts. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of strangers in our midst. To the point where even you will struggle with the fleshly thing that says, you'll go home and you go, I didn't hardly even see my brothers and sisters today. Through the crowd of strangers, we even find ways to make that about ourselves too. Now, I mean that there is a joyful thing there—a joyful affection we have for each other. But again, remember the point of the strangers to come and hear the gospel and be loved and encouraged, served, and honored—is that they too would be saved and become part of our eternal family. When new people come to our church, I. One of the things that just makes me dance is that this could be a brother or sister or an individual or kids I could know for a generation or two or three. And if not that, then for eternity. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And so I want to ask you this morning. I want to ask you to make war with all the little ways that you make it about you and your preference. We get a new beginning over there. That means none of you have a preferred seat. <laughs> or a preferred parking spot. Saturday morning for the, for the ribbon cutting, I'm going to ask none of you, unless by handicap reasons alone you have to, to park in the parking lot. I'm going to ask all of you to get your car dirty and park on the dirt. Why? If you don't know why, then in 24 hours, turn this sermon back on and listen to it again. (laughs) That it would be our joy to get our car dirty. That for the next three months, it would be our joy to have dirty cars on Monday mornings. Because we're waiting to pave that site because we need a bigger parking lot. Right? I don't know. I don't know where God's going to take this. I am so stoked if like four families are core, involved, discipled, and grow with us. I don't. I, whatever God has. But I do know that He has instructed and commanded us to have a posture and a position and a readiness to honor Him in a way that He's decided, not what we've decided. And so how will that, how will that be challenging to you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if what the kids' ministry experience is for the coming season. I don't know what that means to having to give up your chair, Maybe or or I'm asking you already via last week to consider serving the other hour, and now your Sunday mornings look way different than they have. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but I know that we're excited to go low, excited to look for ways to push up another and honor them. Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a ribbon cutting outside in the sun. So bring your sunglasses. Ceremony won't last very long. We'll have a couple of talking moments and a chance to proclaim the gospel and the God that we serve. And then we're going to, so that will happen 20, 30 minutes. And then we're going to dismiss and open up the whole campus. Some of our group leaders will be stationed throughout the campus to interact and talk. And I hope that you also would consider who you can just interact with, love, and befriend and encourage. That it wouldn't just be a time for you to take the tour like it's your first time. But that you would do that and see it and experience it, but also look to make some time. Uh, We're looking for some people to man a a balloon tent where we want to give little kids balloons, helium balloons. Or uh, a, a room where we're going to have a couple of our key leaders little kids watch so that, so that we can be freed up to, to, to stay focused on some important conversations we need to have, uh, a room or a place to monitor the, the new playground, or to manage a bounce house, or the, um, uh, the zip line no, I'm kidding, we're not having a zip line. <laughs> Over the railroad tracks. <laughs> So, so, man, you, you would bless us this morning to say, hey, yeah, I, I'd be willing to serve in some of that, that our list is so long, we don't have to call you to do it. Talk to Nikki. She's putting it together. <laughs> Raise your hand, Nikki. That's Nikki. So, uh, man, even just that day, how can you come and look to, to just love people, encourage people, make way, give up your seat, whatever? I... I, I we're going to set up a lot of chairs, but I hope that there's standing room only for that little ceremony. Um, yeah, come serve this week as much as you can. Get on the phone. Host some dinners this week to invite friends. Buy the Thursday newspaper. I think they're going to do an article about us again. Um, yeah, just encouraged that, that this would be our reality, church. So let me pray and we'll worship and continue on. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this this word that you've given us, your holy word. A place to study and grow, to know you and know what it is to be yours and to to love others the way you've called us to, the way Christ has loved us. That this idea of showing hospitality would not be uh, a fad would not be just something we can do for a minute, and then three months from now we're just tired of not having our favorite seat or our favorite parking spot or whatever else is going on. But Lord, that it, would just, it would not go away. It would become a lifestyle. It would, it would be who we are as a people. It would be, be another way that we're pointing to Christ, that others are seeing your love, your grace, your forgiveness, when, when in sin people are not deserving of it if our hearts are wrestling this morning with maybe some people you already have in our lives that we are struggling to outdo them and showing them honor because we constantly find ourselves saying they don't deserve it, that, Lord, we would, we'd, we'd go to prayer with you in that. We would, we'd go back to your word. We would confess that sin and ask for you to move mightily in and through us to, to reorient that practice to honor you and glorify you what a joy it is to be yours what a joy it is to be part of the legacy of this church and opening the time capsule this last Wednesday and getting to touch and look at documents and photographs and letters and go back to 1889 (laughs) To see how you've worked in and through our people and their humility to serve and show honor and make others more important than themselves and count others in that way. and Let us continue that legacy, Lord. I pray for our health this week um, and our strength to be um, engaging next weekend and to endure all that's still left this week. We ask for you to help make a way through the the political things that still need to happen and the building inspections and some of those details that we would trust your timing that, that if for whatever reason Lord we don't get to do service next Sunday in our new building that we would not be undone that we would not be upset that we would buy bigger hats and do it outside or what I don't know whatever we've got to do Lord to, to worship your name that's what counts that, that we'll be there in your time that that you would give us opportunities to display faith and not just what we see in sight and flesh. And so we we rejoice in your holy name, in the gospel that sets us free, in the fact that you showed us, you counted us, Lord. you, You elected us, you saved us when we didn't deserve it, when we were your active enemy. Praise you, Lord, for these truths motivate our hearts not just to sing this song but to move from this place unto a new day a new week and a new season of ministry before us in Jesus name we pray